Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the roadside films of the VHS era. Tonight, we're talking about the 1983 Mountaintop Motel Massacre, uh, possibly one of the best taglines of all time. Um, Please don't disturb Evelyn. She already is movie i'm not sure it's one of the best of all time but we'll get into that my name is luke and i am joined by leland listeners last week's review of couples therapy as entertainment was fun and all but it's time to return to the norm following an insane grandma's homicidal rampage through her sleazy motel and if you'd like to visit this two-star econo lodge with us then as of this broadcast you can find 1983's Mountaintop Motel Massacre, also known as Mmm, and dozens of other names from multiple region releases on YouTube and Tubi for free. Or you could see it on Prime for as much as it costs to rent one of Grandma's hovels. And then you, like us, can stick it to the big hotel lobby by supporting mom and pop owned small business. Do you really think this is a two-star hotel? <laughs> the, I, I stay. I stay at. I stay at two-star motels. That was the, the joke, man. You ruined it. This is not. This is not reaching those two stars. <laughs> Maybe the movie, but not the motel. Have you ever stayed in a really terrible hotel? Not like motel, this, man. Not like this. Like, what's your worst motel experience? I've been relatively lucky with motel experiences. Um, like I, I've not gotten bed bugs, haven't seen roaches. Uh, there's definitely been some mystery stains, but overall, I've dodged some bullets when it comes to the motels. I have had, I've stayed at nice hotels that have had some serious issues, though, like air conditioning going out in the middle of the night, or like walls leaking. Yeah, there was one motel where. This was early in Amanda and I's relationship, and the air conditioner wasn't working. We took the mattress off of the bed and moved it over to the wall against the air conditioner and slept there so that we would be close to the minimum air blowing. <laughs> but the worst motel, I, this might have been the same trip. We were. It was one of those times where like, I should have stopped at the populated area. But I was like, no, I can drive for another hour. And so we ended up stopping in the middle of nowhere. And there was only one motel around. And I checked in. And then we drove to the the room. And I've never seen this before, but it was a motel where the the doors were opening out into the, um, you know, the parking lot. But there was a separate wall of glass between the parking lot and the rooms. So you had to step into like a little glass enclosed hallway that led to the the front rooms. And there were like kids, like 14, 15 year olds in that glass hallway smoking. And we were like, okay, this looks kind of weird. But in the room, first of all, none of the furniture matched. It looked like they went down to the local thrift store and just grabbed whatever they could find and stuck it in there. 
and the bed like the mattress sunk in in the middle so it formed kind of a pool and there was like a stain in the middle of the pool and the bathroom had no shower curtain no towels no little soaps uh, no washcloths like nothing it was just barren and it smelled atrociously and there were stains everywhere the furniture was like warped um it was terrible so we were like we can't stay here right so we went back to the front office and i was like yeah we just checked in we'd like to check out now and the guy was like would you like to see another room and and i was like no we're we're done we're just gonna drive further um and he was like, because the room that we gave you, that's a smoking room, and we don't even go in those. <laughs> and oh. no, we left. So um, so we actually did not stay, but that was the worst hotel that I ever checked into. I actually think this one in this movie is nicer. Yeah, I I have no comparable story for that. I've stayed in a lot of cheap motels just because I drive on the road pretty often. You travel constantly. Yeah, I do. Um, but all right. So back to this one, uh, the Mountaintop Motel of Mountaintop Motel Massacre from 1983. What, like, do you think, what movies would you say this one's comparable to? This just kind of seemed like a run-of-the-mill slasher film with some very unconventional tropes. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's pretty early in the slasher cycle, right? And it's it's pretty much limited to one location. But the characters, I think, are a little stranger than in your typical slasher. Yeah, it's because uh, I'm, I'm assuming this film kind of had a, uh, a video dead production, right? Where they just had a couple people who wanted to make a film for funsies and they just grabbed all of their friends and family who could star in it. Yeah, I really don't know and I can't find anything about like the the making of this movie, but it was the second movie that the director Jim McCullough did. His first movie was 6 years earlier and it was called Charge of the Model T's. And but he had been a producer, I guess he produced like five movies before this one. So he at least had some sort of career. I saw he was the he his first uh, producing credit was where the red fern grows. Did you have to watch that like in elementary school all the time? No, I dodged that too. Um, oh no, we had to watch that one all the time. But I went to a Southern Baptist elementary school, so yeah. it was a little <laughs> no unordinary. For you. No, um, but anyway, so he had some sort of a career, but I don't think really anyone else in the movie did. Oh, he also wrote a movie called Creature from Black Lake. I've seen that one. That was actually his first screenplay. That movie's barely a movie. Like, this is far more of a movie than that one. Well, let's talk about the setting of okay. the film, right? I was really curious where they filmed this because they obviously didn't make it as a set. This was a, one of those places where you come across it as a producer, and in your mind, 
you just start making the script. You make the decision to film a movie there. Allegedly, this is an abandoned fish camp. I um I didn't see that, but it, it makes sense because it doesn't really look like a motel. There's there's separate cabins. No, it, it's an abandoned fish camp in Louisiana. All right. And where is it? Is it supposed to take place in Louisiana? Does it ever tell us? No, but there are characters that mention a highway number in, in parts of the film, and that highway does run through part of Louisiana. I mean, it also runs through like five other states, but hey, it's there. You really did your research on this one. I, I think that's the only thing I researched. <laughs> you, you, um, you know what this reminds me of? Because if my first thought was there's no way there is a, a motel with an interconnected tunnel network. There's no way, right? Because that reminds me of um of a story I read a long time ago about uh, the Voyeurs Motel in Colorado. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, back in, uh, I want to say either the late 70s or the 80s, there was a guy who owned a motel with his wife in the 80s. Uh, his name was um, Foos, Gerald Foos, F-O-O-S. He created a network above all of the rooms in the attic that gave him a perfect view through ventilation systems into all of the guests at the hotel. And he didn't just watch them and he didn't just masturbate while watching them. And he didn't just fuck his wife while watching them. He also made a chronicle, like a journal of what he observed and made a lot of observations into what would normally be like the, uh, candid lives of couples, young, middle-aged, old. Um, mostly, I think he was interested in sexual behavior, but he also saw a lot of illegal activity. Um, allegedly, he saw a, he saw a murder at one point, but didn't go to the police because he didn't want to, you know, ruin his his whole network that he set up. Um, the only reason we know anything about this is because he approached. A, an author to write a book about this um, long after he would sell the motel where the he would believe he believed he'd be outside of the statute of limitations for any charges um, that could result from the story coming out. And so the author apparently took a shit ton of notes, agreed not to write it until, um, you know, a lot of time has passed. I think Mr. Foos is, is past now. The writer is still around. I think the book has come out already. I haven't read it myself. I just know a lot about the story that led to the book being written because the author announced, you know, this is his book. He's going to be writing it. Um, yeah, this so this this whole setup reminded me of that motel. And sure, it wasn't underground networks, but it was still a thing where you could spy on your guests. Do do you know if there was an underground network at the fish camp that they filmed in? So that's a question I, I, I can't answer. And I wonder because I don't know if there's actually a network under there or if those are just addicts that each shack happens to have. But think about it this way. If the film was in Louisiana, I'd imagine it's a lot like Florida where you can't just build basements anywhere 
Well, in most of you can't build basements almost anywhere in Florida. Those that aren't familiar, because the water table is so high, you're basically inviting uh, sinkholes and your entire <laughs> your entire property to just sink into the ground uh, when you start digging too deep. And imagine Louisiana is the same way because it's mostly a swamp, right? Yeah, I think so. That that's a good point. I I don't think it would be possible unless you the cabins were built like above ground somehow. So here's my here's my theory is that there's there was the shacks. They were real. They all at least had small basement areas under them, but I'm not convinced they were actually connected IRL. I think uh, more than likely there was a separate set that they filmed those scenes in. So so, yeah, the whole climax of the movie takes place down in those tunnels and I'm wondering how much of that was in the original film, because I read that this originally got released as just Mountaintop Motel, and then um, New World picked it up and released it on video, but they, they according to what I read, uh, they gave them some additional money to film a new ending that was more violent. And so I'm wondering if that like last 15 minutes that take place underground was all filmed after the fact, possibly in a different location. Perhaps there's definitely um, alternate endings to this film, depending on which version you find, but they all pretty much result in the same with the heroes coming out on top in the end. So let me share the back of the box with you and then let's get into the story. Um, as I said, this was released by uh, released by New World. I love, I love this box. It's, it's got a crazy looking Evelyn on the front, like with bloody fingers coming out from behind a door, and it says, "Please do not disturb Evelyn. She already is." And it's room number thirteen, and then it says, "Mountaintop Motel Massacre," and the back says, "Welcome to the Mountaintop Motel." Remote, secluded, private. All the fresh air you can breathe and the best views that money can buy. Young marrieds on a honeymoon, country preacher on vacation, road-weary traveler looking for a warm room and a home-cooked meal. You can check in anytime you want, but you can never leave. I wonder if the Eagle song, the Eagle song had come out prior to 82, right? Anyway, it goes on, little do the guests here know that the mountaintop motel is run by a deeply troubled middle-aged woman who is slowly going berserk. She is in the grip of a stifling madness, and she attends to the guest in her own wicked ways. Poisonous snakes, roaches, butcher knives, or any available kitchen utensil will do. She is on a bloody rampage from which there is no escape. The terror is real. There's a little bit of misleading uh, synopsis there. But not the worst we've encountered. No, for sure. sure. So we actually, the, the back of the box describes her as middle-aged. And, and she is apparently the mother of like a teenage girl. But she looks more like a grandma, right? She does look like a grandma. She looks like a a homicidal version of, of Ray Romano's mom from Everyone Loves Raymond. Yeah, one 
you know, one criticism I have of this movie is that I just don't think we get enough of her or like, like, I think she could have been a really awesome, crazy villain, but we actually see way more of the, the boring heroes than we see of Evelyn. This movie is missing a more detailed backstory. All we get is a 30 second blurb in the beginning of the film. And then everything else is just a, a couple sentences, a couple words here and there from some characters in the beginning. That's all you get. Yeah, there's definitely some hints. And, and I actually think the beginning of the movie is the is the best part. So with that said, let's play the trailer and then we'll get into the plot. <laughs> Far from the beaten path lies a friendly little inn. Girl, you better come get your critter before I chop his head off. Where folks come from miles around. Hold on. It's so sad to be alone. Help me make it through the night. To rest, relax, and make new friends. Honey down. I'm Bill McWilly. Marvin Crenshaw. This is my cousin, Chrissy. Relative? Cousin. Are you okay, man, Reverend? Sorry. Crenshaw? Evelyn? <laughs> Tell your little wife I'll have a surprise for you. Where no one ever complains. You mean we got to go down there after? No way, Jose. Where people are dying to get a reservation. Hello? Hello? And any moment might be checkout time. I'm getting out of here. Is this any way to run a motel? You bet your life it is. Mountaintop Motel Massacre. This trailer does a great job of showing almost all of the violent parts of the film, but spacing it out in a tasteful way. Yeah, like New World knew how to market. I mean, so this was not in my um, independent movie book, the Stephen Thrower book, even though I checked. Maybe it's just not considered independent because it was released and marketed by New World. And so... Um, they knew what they were doing. Did, did the music in this movie stand out to you at all? It didn't. Should it have? I don't know. So in the beginning of the movie, there's kind of like a like a creepy childlike piano-based score, which I liked. But then towards the end of the movie, and, and we'll get into this, the music gets much more experimental and interesting. And it actually kind of made me want the soundtrack just for like those last few tracks. I, I don't know if this ever got a officially released soundtrack, but I'm going to check. All right. So we start out with a um, like a title card that says Evelyn was recently released from a mental hospital. And then we see her gardening and her daughter or it looks like her granddaughter but her daughter is inside playing with a rabbit 
in her incredibly dark bedroom full of dolls. Like, it looks like Satan did the color scheme for this room. All of these dolls look straight out of Cave of the Sharks. I Especially the... There's one that Evelyn is carrying around later in the movie, and that's what I wrote in my notes, is that it looked strikingly similar to that that doll in Cave of the Sharks. But, so one thing I was thinking is, all right, they probably did not design these sets, with the exception of, like, putting a bunch of dolls in this room, right? Like, do you, were, were interior design schemes just darker in the 70s? You know, I wasn't there, so I can't confirm. But, you know, when I think of the 70s, I think of all the the pop culture, vibrant colors and, and, and you know, drug references and stuff. Like, I don't I don't see this stuff. Like, you, know, you see a lot of bedroom. you see a lot of that in movies. But I remember like my grandparents house when I was growing up was was very 70s, like wood paneled walls red shag carpeting um like a black poker table with a really colorful lamp above it and owls everywhere and and the lighting was much darker than our rooms are lit today and i actually like that style like i prefer like we decorate our house um in a lot of mid-century to 70s stuff and I like that darkness, but I don't, there are scenes in this movie that are really hard to see, at least on the VHS. Back in my day, light bulbs didn't have mercury in them. <laughs> um, and one thing that stood out to me about the interior design is, all right, so there, the Reverend, who is a character who's like a really big guy, we see him in his hotel room and all the furniture is super low to the ground and he looks like a giant in that room did you notice that no but i don't doubt it i did notice he was a big man uh, yeah i mean there's a his, his the bed is one of those that has no box spring under it so it's the mattress is just sitting on the floor and he sits down on it and has to like splay his legs out uh, to in order to fit and like furniture was lower to the ground in the 70s and like i'm a short person and i quite like that level but um this movie is an extreme the the furniture is very small well you anyway, see nowadays with all the fast food <laughs> people are just bigger we can't just have furniture this size anymore all the genetically modified stuff yes I will say vintage vintage clothes usually fit me better than contemporary clothes because they're cut smaller. Um, but anyway, back to the beginning of this movie. So we see Evelyn out in the garden and there's a guinea pig and she yells to her daughter, like, come get your critter before I chop its head off. Uh, and the daughter doesn't come. And so the, the grandma or the mom, Evelyn, has like a, is it a scythe? Is that what that is that she she's holding? You mean a scythe? But no, this this is a sickle. Okay. I wasn't aware there was a difference, but all right. All right. So yeah, okay. so easy, easy, easy guide here. Scythe is two hands. Sickle is one-handed. Okay, cool. So um, she kills the guinea pig with the sickle. 
<laughs> like, I like this. See, I like, I really like the crazy neurotic mother trope in movies, if that hasn't already become clear throughout the podcast. So this is my favorite part of the movie. Who lets their pet guinea pig outside? I don't... It, it, when I was growing up, we had so many animals, like rabbits, guinea pigs, dogs, cats, chickens, goats, horses, like you name it, my mom had it. And we just let the guinea pigs and the rabbits like run around the house and they could follow the animals outside. But we had a fenced in yard. So they, I mean, as long as we were like watching them, they couldn't outright escape. But it, it wasn't that far off from this movie. If I let a guinea pig outside, I would expect to never see it again. Well, this this little girl, she's probably like, how old do you think this girl is? Like 13? Especially an albino guinea pig. Like, predators are going to see it from a mile away. There's no camouflage. Also, this, this girl looks mid-20s, but is dressed like she's 12. Yeah, I think she's supposed to be like early teens. But... The daughter is inside doing some kind of ceremony with her dad's picture. Like there's lots of candles lit. We're in the the Satan room and she's like talking to her dad and saying that she thinks her mom needs to go back to the hospital. And then she starts saying, I summon the the spirits of beyond. Show me a sign. And Evelyn hears this. And she goes wild, like she starts destroying everything, um, spinning around in circles chaotically like Leatherface at the end of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and she kills her daughter. We should add that during the ceremony, she's having a tea party with her rabbit and a goat. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you think the only reason the daughter has all these animals is so that Evelyn can deploy them later in the movie? You know, in the beginning, I thought it was going to be like a satanic uh, sacrificial thing, but that never plays out. No, this is like the end of any occult or Satanism or what. Like there is nothing else like this for the rest of the movie, which well, is really disappointing. There's one more thing. All right. About halfway through the film, when grandma, okay, like I realize she's not a grandma, but if you've, if you watch this movie, that those are the vibes you're going to (laughs) get. So grandma is gearing up. She's mentally prepping herself for the massacre. And she has her, her, her sickle in one hand and she is like reciting It's either uh, something from the Bible or something that is at least Bible-esque about angels and something about like uh, bringing home souls, reaping, something along those lines. And then that's it. That's all you get. Yeah, well, I wish there was more of this stuff because I think this is great. Um, there, there actually might be something else in all of the pictures that are posted around the motel. The, apparently, her daughter was a big 
a big artist. Like, you know, you would just take your child's pictures and post them on the fridge. Well, in this case, uh, Evelyn here would take all of the her children's her child's pictures and put them all over the rooms. And some of them had kind of weird pictures in them. They're weird drawings. So maybe there was something else there. But I didn't scrutinize frame by frame which each picture had in it. In the in the room where the daughter gets killed, there's a painting on the wall of a pig that's like really horrifying. Like it looks like a demon pig. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I remember that now. Yeah, that's the one that sticks out in my mind. Yeah, we get a good shot of it getting splattered with blood as uh, Evelyn does her whirlwind attack. Evelyn, to her credit, calls the police, and the police and ambulance come, and they're performing CPR on the daughter, but she's dead. We should also mention Evelyn moved the body from the site of the murder scene. Yeah, she takes it into, like, the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. But she tells the police that the accident happened in the garden. Well, we forensics wasn't a very fleshed out science in the early 80s. So I guess it was easier to get away with this stuff. I guess, but I mean, all right. So we should also mention that the reverend is here. He's a guest in the hotel, but he also says he was a friend of Evelyn's late husband. And the police are trying to ask Evelyn a bunch of questions. And he's like, don't you think that you know, this is a bad time to be pestering this grieving woman. And so the police lay off her. But it's clear that, like, the sheriff suspects that this was not an accident, that, like, something weird is going on here. He might be familiar with Evelyn's history at the uh, mental hospital. I think he is because later in the movie, when he gets called and finds out that there's been like murders his first question is is it evelyn so if he didn't already know about her history he's got some suspicions uh he does see the the satan doll room but he doesn't say anything about it just another louisiana bedroom i guess yeah we see evelyn at the funeral and she's hearing voices from like, she thinks she can hear the other people at the funeral's thoughts, and they're thinking, like, you know, Evelyn's crazy. And um, so we can see she's kind of paranoid that maybe with good reason, like, but she's got some paranoia going on. The voices are pretty well done. I like the voices a lot. Yeah, they, they sound really good. We see the reverend in his room with the tiny furniture drinking whiskey, so he's definitely not like a traditionally abstinent uh, or sober reverend. But Evelyn is also starting to hear her daughter's voice. And her daughter is saying things like, they all think you're crazy. And ultimately, her daughter is going to start like instructing her to kill people. Or at least the voice likeness of her daughter. Right. And that's a question I'm going to have at the end. But I think it's just, you know, in Evelyn's head. So 
there's a guy, um, like an older black guy who shows up looking for a vacancy and she gives him room two, but he starts hanging out with the reverend and they're like talking together. I thought this was a really weird relationship between the two of them. Like, did you think this was weird? Well, first off, we can't skip over the fact that Evelyn is only charging $7 a night. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how crazy that was in 1982 for, like, a roadside motel. I really don't know. I mean, uh, <laughs> these prices are literally insane. But but actually, because she really needs help. Well, the system has failed her. There is another character who is like, you'll like this hotel because it's really cheap. So it was a cheap price, but I don't know, like... It wasn't the way $7 sounds today. Do we really want to try to analyze the the conditions necessary for someone straight out of a mental hospital to acquire a struggling motel business? I assumed that she owned it with her husband before she went into the mental hospital. And then her husband died at some point, and now she is the sole owner. For all we know, she killed her husband. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that that's why she's in the mental hospital. See, this could all have been... She could have been developed so much more as a character. Like, she seems like a decent actress. Like, at a, Oh, I, yeah, for sure. I think if this character was written in a more interesting way, she could have pulled it off. And on that note, almost all of the characters in this movie just look real because they look like they're portrayed by real people, not, you know, professional model-esque actors. It really creates a nice atmosphere. Yeah, this movie atmosphere. has this movie has great atmosphere. Like, it's probably the best selling point of the movie, is that you get to see this time capsule of a weird place with weird people. But going back to this reverend and uh, Crenshaw, I believe is his name? Yeah, that's his name. Man, because of the times, my first thought was like, please don't be racist, Reverend. Like, please don't say something. <laughs> and thankfully, they end up having like a, a bromance for the rest of the film. Yeah, I just I just thought it was odd. Maybe I just think it's odd because I am an antisocial person that would never talk to anybody else I saw staying in a hotel. But what, what else are they going to do but socialize? There's no cable nobody owns cell phones we can't just play angry birds yeah the crenshaw guy asks if there's any restaurants and the reverend's like just stay and have dinner with me and i think he has a bottle of whiskey and a can of beans no it's a small can of vienna sausages <laughs> okay yeah so like, barely enough for one person i mean assuming you would even say one vienna sausage is edible for one person yeah, I, I wouldn't eat that shit, but um, <laughs> one thing, a different time. One thing I thought was odd is um, like during this, I got the impression seeing this scene that it was like midnight. But then later we find out that it's only like seven o'clock and it looks like daytime outside. I'm, but I'm going to go on a limb here and say your VHS was possibly way too dark. Well, I think that's true, but not only because it's dark, but also just because 
Well, for whatever reason, I got the impression that it was late at night at this point. But then later we find out that it's not that late. We see that Evelyn is traveling in the secret tunnel between the rooms. And she puts this snake in a bag and drops it in one of the rooms. And when she's holding the snake, there's like this loud rattling noise on the soundtrack. Are we supposed to think that that's the snake rattling? Yes. Because You're it's supposed de- to think that. Because it's definitely not a rattlesnake. No, not at all. Like it doesn't remotely look like a rattlesnake and we see its tail and there's no rattle. But yeah, we hear like violent rattling on the soundtrack. And that kind of um like maybe I could have thought that this setup was creepy or scary, but that kind of killed it for me. <laughs> so we see a couple driving and at this point it seemed like there was a blue light filter to make it look like nighttime. But yes, probably. So they're going to stop at the hotel and we find out that it's their wedding night and the guy's like, we're going to stop at this hotel. And the the wife is like, it's not even seven yet. And he says, yeah, but it's my wedding night. Oh, like the implication is he doesn't want to do anything except go to a hotel. And they kind of have a back and forth. And then he tells her that she talks too much like this. I mean, almost all the male characters in this movie are competing to be assholes to me. But this guy might win the award. I don't know. Crenshaw seems pretty authentic. Yeah, Crenshaw's fine. He's the only one that that is fine. He's my favorite character in this whole film. Yeah, he's I don't know, he's an interesting character. We also meet two girls who are on their way to the hotel and they're like singing in the car together and we find out that they want to be singers because they say, "Look out, Loretta," like they're going to take the country music world by storm. Spoiler, they do not. No, they're absolutely awful. They have no chance. Um, Back to the newlyweds, when they get to the hotel, she's like, this is it. And he says, what the hell did you expect? A holiday inn? You know I can't afford that. Like, how much do you think a Holiday Inn would have been in 1982? Are you Googling? Of course. Because I think now a Holiday Inn would be like between $75 and $100, depending on the place. So a good family-run motel in the late 60s and the early 70s was $20 to $25. Okay, so maybe like... 30 to 40 dollars in the early 80s yep and that is too rich for his blood for sure when he's checking in evelyn gives him a candle and says in case the lights go out and he says i think the lights will be out anyway very suggestively yeah they are really uh he's really adamant about having those lights off like please don't look at me or maybe he doesn't want to look at his wife she ain't bad no, I don't think so. But it's best. I mean, he's he struck gold with his situation, and in my estimation, well, until they get to the room. Oh, right, exactly. 
uh, we see Evelyn crawling through the attic space again, or underneath, I guess. It's not attic. It's like basement space. And the wife is making like angry faces again. And the husband says not to say anything. And she's like, nope. I was told if I can't say anything nice, I won't say anything at all. So it, it's clear that uh, she's not too impressed by this room. But she's staying. <laughs> and then I really like this. She finds the big sack on the floor that the snake was in. And she's like, what's this? And he says, oh, it's just an old sack. Just throw it in the corner. I mean, it's really not out of place compared to anything else in the room, right? I guess not, but... So how would you react if you stopped at a motel and it ended up looking like this? Like, would you stay? No, I'd go sleep in my truck. Yeah, I think I would too. If I, I might be willing to, to try it out, but if I was with my wife, she'd be like, no. She's well, much I mean, more. I guess, uh, I guess getting a snake for $7 is kind of a bargain, but uh, <laughs> yeah, not really I, in the market for a snake. And now, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not sensible enough. But I, this, the the sack on the floor would be uh, a big red flag for me. So we we see a conversation between the Reverend and Crenshaw. Is that his name? Yes. And he says the Reverend says that he's been sharing the good news and has saved. Uh, he's been sharing the good news for 25 years. I think he says. And that he saved over 500 people. But Crenshaw's like, your preaching doesn't say anything about drinking, does it? And that's when the reverend says, sure it does. And he tells us how the kingdom of heaven is in our hearts. It's not up in the sky. And so Crenshaw says, well, where is the kingdom of hell then? And the reverend says, I guess it's in there too. Uh, but this is not a very orthodox view for a, a reverend. I like the character, but much like Evelyn, there's not an, there's not enough to flesh it out. Yeah, I almost would have rather he become like the main character as opposed to the, the guy we ultimately get stuck with. Oh, like I think the reverend is a more interesting character. Oh, faux show. But this is about as interesting as the script gets. Like, this is really the only protracted scene of dialogue we have. We meet another guy. This is going to be our protagonist, I guess, Al. And he's driving and he calls his... Is it his wife or his secretary that he calls? I believe it is his secretary. But yeah, I would say this guy is like the Motel 6 of protagonists. Yeah, because he says, like, he he tells her she's a good secretary, but then she also he also calls her babe. So I couldn't I couldn't tell. Um, Maybe in the eighties it was standard to you know have a, a mistress and a secretary fulfill the same role. Oh, I uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the implication is that he's kind of a sleazy character. But now it's raining, uh, and she looks up the motel for him. And she's the one that says he'll like it because it's super cheap. And the two girls who wanted to be singers, they're broken down. And their car is broken down, and he picks them up. And the girls are super impressed by this car. 
and by the fact that he has a car phone. And he tells them that he owns Columbia Records and that he is on a talent search. And he's willing to listen to them sing as an audition. At this point, he doesn't know that they want to be singers, right? But he's able to bullshit this Columbia Records story. Yes. So that's shockingly convenient for him, I guess. Yeah, I think he actually drops that he is a record that he works for a record company or actually he owns a record company yeah he uh, owns columbia records before they even say anything about their singing career right so i found that odd like almost like the screenwriter caught some things out of order yeah or you know sometimes things just work out conveniently but anyway it's it's immediately clear to us that he does not own columbia records Although, we don't know what he does at this point, right? I just thought he was a businessman. He at least makes enough money to own a car phone. Yeah, unless this is like a business car. Hmm. Yeah, okay, I didn't consider that. That's what I thought it must be. Because when they when they ask if he's rich, he says no. Anyway, alright, so back to the married couple. Uh, he's saying that he's saying he's so horny he can't stand it. And she's like, it's my wedding night. Like, I want it to be special. And he says sarcastically, you want champagne and soft music? And she's like, no, I just want it to be special. And and she has an idea for how to make it special. Like, this girl has really low standards, I would say. And didn't she say something along the lines of, I just want it to last, like, longer than, like, two minutes or something? I feel like she made a time joke. I'm, she's, I don't remember that, but she says something about she wants it to be different than if they were in the backseat of his car. Yeah, definitely that. And uh, while they're having this conversation, uh, he, a third party starts to join. The, the, the rattlesnake, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, he bites the, the new husband in the face. <laughs> and, the, I mean... The guy's face swells up pretty realistically looking, I think. This is what you get for a $7 motel room. Of all the uh, the critters that Evelyn drops down, though, this is really the only one that's dangerous, is the snake. His face doesn't swell up immediately either. It, uh, it swells up gradually between scenes. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought this was pretty realistic and pretty um, disturbing. I guess, like, I'm kind of creeped out by spiders in hotel rooms. I'd be really creeped out by a fucking snake. And I own a snake, so I'm not like uh, particularly scared of snakes. I just don't want one in my hotel room to bite me in the face. So we go back to the girls and they left their purse in the car that broke down. And the guy's like, that's fine. You can stay with me and you can audition for me all night. And Evelyn gives him room number one. <laughs> and this is really funny. He tells her that she has some spider webs in her hair because she's been crawling around under the rooms. But the the wife catches him as he's on his way back to the car and tells him that her husband has been bit by a snake and needs to be taken to the hospital. 
and he says that the road's blocked by a tree and so there's no way they can make it anywhere but he'll call the doctor from his car phone uh, because the other phones are out and the dispatcher can't get a hold of the sheriff Um, we see him in a bar the they say that um, if they do manage to get a hold of the sheriff they'll call back Uh, but of course he won't hear anything on the car phone if he's in the room yeah, law enforcement's not an easy job. Alcoholism is a pretty common uh, occurrence. Yeah, I wasn't, like, uh, surprised. I mean, and besides that, the, the the implication is the sheriff's, like, off for the night, right? Like, Oh, I figured he was on duty. <laughs> maybe, but um, the the dispatcher initially says that he's unavailable, so... Uh, By that, I think he just meant that uh, the sheriff is outside of his vehicle at this time and cannot be reached on radio. Got it. All right. Yeah, that's totally possible. Yeah. You know, you can't just go drinking on duty anymore. Ain't like the good old days. (laughs) No. Unless you're in the wire. They drink a lot (laughs) on the wire. But I probably would, too, if I was in that situation. So anyway, Al gives the girls a couple of outfits to change into because they're soaked. And meanwhile, Evelyn is dropping some rats into the Reverend's room. And the girls are de- like the the Al is in the bathroom and the girls are debating whether he's for real, like he if he's really with Columbia Records. But the one girl is like, you know, it's worth the risk. Like the worst it'll cost us is uh, she says a romp in the hay that it's worth the chance if he really is um and so they ask him if they can audition and he says over and over so he's laying it on pretty thick that uh he's looking for a particular kind of audition so this guy did not age well at all i don't even know if this was good for the 80s i don't think it was but i mean we'll get here but there's a point in the movie where i started warming up to him a little bit i mean outside of this he is generally doing good protagonist things right like he didn't have to actually call a doctor for the snake bitten husband but he does no so i mean this is skipping ahead but there's a point where he finally admits that he's not with columbia records and like he didn't have to do that right he 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 says at that point that He was just having a bit of fun, like that it was basically a joke. And it seems like the movie wants us to think of it that way, that he was actually just like playing a joke and that he's really a good guy. Nowadays, if you try to sleep with the wrong person under false circumstances, you can get sued in court. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you could. I'm sure you could have gotten away with this as a man in the early 80s, but I don't know. The movie is really unclear whether we are supposed to take him as like a dirtbag who is, you know, seducing these girls on false pretenses or whether we're supposed to think he's a likable protagonist and uh, and he just happens to be having a good time by playing a joke on him. We go back to Evelyn and she's wandering around looking at the baby dolls and she she has one like on her shoulder. This is the one that really looks like it's from Cave of the Sharks. Mm-hmm. And she's looking down in this aquarium that's like full of roaches, and she's trying to get them to crawl in this bag by like brushing them with this little stick. 
it, she never does get them to crawl in the bag. Like, it know, looks that, ridiculous. That would never work. No. In fact, I, I almost feel like the the director was tr was hoping they'd crawl in the bag, but then when they didn't, he was eventually like, uh, just cut. We'll we'll just the audience can assume they went in there." That was the impression I got. Evelyn, they probably asked Evelyn's uh, actress, you know, like, "Hey, you know, can you just reach in and get some cockroaches?" And she's like, "No, that's gross." Yeah. Did these <laughs> then films a scene of uh, simulated murder? Did these look like like normal North American cockroaches to you, or did they look like something exotic? Yeah, they just looked like good old roaches. Yeah, I couldn't really tell. Good old fashioned motel roaches they're pretty big though yeah i mean they, they kind of have to be right to to show up well on film yeah well somehow they get into the bag and she drops them into the into crenshaw's room and we see them crawling over his body as he sleeps what i assume you would also check out if this happened to you oh yeah a hundred percent but you know what he wakes up and is almost completely unfazed He's like, oh, man, this again. And <laughs> starts brushing him off. Well, you know, it sucks, but it's like, you know, you learn to, I think, put up with things that you shouldn't have to put up with when you don't have money. Yeah. It's just like, so I just moved. That's why we had to skip a week. And um, my wife and I moved into an apartment because we're trying to save some money to buy a house. And so this is the first time we're renting a place that's like below what we can afford, right? Like we're, we're kind of slumming it. And it like the staff here and everything is terrible. And I keep saying like, I know this is a cheaper apartment, but poor people shouldn't have to put up with this shit either. And that's how I feel about this Crenshaw guy. It's like, he he thinks that he just has to put up with roaches, but he shouldn't. It sucks. You know, he does get the the least lethal, the least harmful option of all of the friends that Evelyn brings to the rooms. Yeah. Like, I'll take roaches any day over venomous snake. Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the Reverend gets rats, but they're worse than roaches too i think yeah i mean any mammal that bites you that, that is a hospital visit right there yeah for sure i mean potentially like disease ridden right yeah and then like if a roach bites you it, it can't even pierce your skin it just feels like a pinch well while he's brushing off all the roaches we see the the singing audition scene this is super awkward oh it is to even watch like I I get I feel really awkward watching scenes like this because this was, this was almost like a scene out of like uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm as to how awkward it was. Yeah, and see, I can't watch that show because it just makes like I have anxiety issues. That just this kind of situation, like that show, just gives me anxiety. It doesn't make me laugh. Like him being shirtless doesn't help things at all. No, he's shirtless. He's sitting in bed with just like the the comforter pulled up over his lap and he's like smiling really awkwardly and nodding as as these girls horrendously sing for him. 
out of tune, no tempo. He's nodding along anyway. This is our protagonist. <laughs> right. And I mean, his face says like, uh, this clearly sucks, but I'm going to get laid. Like, that's what his expression says. And after they're done, he says, I wish I'd have recorded that. <laughs> And then as if he doesn't want to overdo the praise, he says, you need a little polishing, but with the right Nashville producer, vocal coach, and background singers, you could be the fr on the front of my next hit album. And he says they'd be playing with the best musicians in the world. And the one girl like throws herself at him, but the other one stays back and she says uh he, she stays back and he looks at her and he's like you don't want to make this a solo album do you this is like his peak creep moment right to me anyway there's no redemption for me from this like before this point before he said that line Maybe I could have accepted that he's just like an asshole trying to play a bad joke. But when he says that, it's clear he just wants both of them in bed and he'll say whatever to do it. <laughs> no, nah, it's, it's more like um, when he gets caught, he's like, yo, it's just a prank, bro. It's just a prank. <laughs> it's that guy only in the 80s. So while this is happening, we see um, some scenes where the snakebite guy's face is really starting to swell up. And we see Evelyn keep hearing her daughter's voice telling her that everyone must die. They know you're crazy and they're going to send you back to the hospital if you don't kill them. So at this point, so my assumption was that this voice was just in Evelyn's head. Did you ever think it was like supernatural? No, because they never really followed up on the beginning scenes of this film. So I just assumed, all right, she was at an asylum. She must just be crazy. Yeah. So there, there Plus, is everything else in this film is so grounded. Like the characters are all grounded. So you have no reason to believe things are going to get supernatural at any point. Yeah. It, it, there, there's one scene at the end that kind of suggests maybe there's something supernatural, but I don't know. I think it's in her head. So the girls are fighting in the bathroom. The, the one who wants to sleep with Al is saying, you can stick to your small town life if you want, but I have an opportunity and I'm going to take it. And so she goes out to get in bed with Al and Evelyn sneaks into the bathroom through the track trap door and kills the other girl with her sickle. And then I thought this was really funny. She like poked her to see if she was dead. Like she just kind of pokes her in the face. <laughs> and I'm sure. I don't know if we mentioned it, but these girls are cousins. And the one who just got killed was named Prissy. And the other one is Tanya. 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 Yeah. Was anyone, has anyone actually been named Prissy? I'm sure they have, but. Maybe like, it's short for Priscilla. Yeah, I guess that would make sense. I'm trying to think of like, 
what are the strangest names you've ever encountered in real life? I can't talk about the source, but I have been exposed to some names. So, like, what's the most interesting one? Katwinkle. <laughs> All right, I shouldn't laugh because uh, cause some one of our listeners may have that name, but I've never heard it before. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. <laughs> Sorry, Katwinkle. <laughs> it's it's you can't really laugh about it though because they can't choose their name not until they're 18 and can submit a you know an identity change form. I don't know. See, I would have um I would have gone by my middle name or something. If that's your first name, what do you think the middle name's going to be? <laughs> I don't know. What I was going to say this isn't is... like your name your first name is Ernest, so you go by your middle name which is like Arnold or something. You, you can't do that here cuz they're probably both the same caliber. Um, well, I I heard this interview on NPR a while back with this woman who's um, a professor somewhere, or she just finished her PhD, I think, and she had written her dissertation on uncommon African-American names and how they impact students in school. And she was inspired by her own name, which her first name is Marijuana and her middle name is Pepsi. <laughs> And she's, I mean, I'm laughing, but the interview was kind of, interviewer was kind of laughing too, but she's, um, she was adamant that like the world just needs to accept and embrace and respect names, no matter how odd. And she should be under no pressure to like go by a different name or change her name. She was very proud. Marijuana Pepsi. But anyway, all right. So back to Prissy. She's just been killed. Yeah you, uh, yeah, you don't want to talk about interesting children names anymore? <laughs> no, we, we should move back to the movie. So Prissy is dead, and the her cousin, what is her cousin's name? T Tanya. Tanya. So Tanya and Al go to check on her in the bathroom, and they find blood everywhere. And so he goes to warn the others. And the reverend, when he finds out, he wants to get out of there, but the road is blocked. So he's going to go stay in Crenshaw's room. Again, they seem like an odd couple, but it, it feels I guess natural, it, though. What's that? It feels natural. It seems like they have a little bit of chemistry. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean, all of the. You know, all the performances in this movie seem authentic. Like, none of these people see is a glaringly bad actor. They, I think the only time it really stood out, well, some, some bad acting, there's the EMTs in the beginning that check out the daughter's corpse. It feels like they really just got some actual EMTs to come in there with zero acting experience. They deliver the lines, like, very wooden well, I didn't look up the filmography of anyone else, but I got the impression that everyone is just kind of playing themselves. Like, that's There's why... There's wrong with that. No, not at all. I just mean that I don't know that they're, like, stretching their character acting here. I, I, but that's a... It's a positive thing if the result is this, which is they all seem really natural, as you said. 
So before the Reverend can go join Crenshaw in his room, Evelyn shows up. And she stabs him with a with her sickle while screaming, "Away, Satan!" And so she this is she stabs him right in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> yeah, um, but this moment was odd because at no other point is it suggested that she thinks she's like fighting evil. Oh gosh, maybe maybe that is supposed to be like a subtle. A subtle theme to the film she's actually supposed to be delivering like just divine justice to the to the impure satanists she went it, into a like a blood rage in the the ritual room right i think if that was true then al would not be the one who survives I mean, Al does say he's sorry and, like, is honest at one point, so maybe he, like, atoned for his sins. Whereas I mean, that's, the... all, that's all it takes for Catholicism, right? Just say sorry. Yeah. Three Hail Marys, you're good. Yeah. I mean, you have to mean it, though. <laughs> well, he's in advertising. He, he means everything he says, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Anyway. This is the point in the movie where he comes clean. And he tells Tanya that he's been lying to her and that he's actually an advertising executive. And the snakebite guy is saying that it feels like the poison's wearing off. But his face looks terrible and his vision starts to get blurry. It, it, I think he says that it's getting to his mind at this point. Yeah, it's probably just the brain damage kicking in. And we, we see Crenshaw, and he's talking to himself, and, and I thought this made me laugh. He was like, I'm leaving, and I don't mean later, I mean right now. I'll sleep in the car. And then he says, except the problem is the car ain't got no crapper. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he sees the floor start to come up as Evelyn tries to get in. And so he gets, he nails it shut. It's really convenient that he had this hammer and nails handy. He nails it like shut immediately as soon as it starts to open. Yeah, it's super Evelyn fast. Not ready. It's almost as if like there was someone off camera handing him the, the hammer and nails. I mean, he but, is a carpenter by trade. So oh, I forgot about that. that. He has these things. You're right. I had totally forgotten that, but. That makes complete sense. <laughs> Do you think that's the only reason they had him be a, a carpenter? Maybe. Or because do you think... The, pl the plot at this point involves them going from hovel to hovel, nailing down all the trap doors to make sure Evelyn cannot come back up from this uh, secret mole tunnel. Right. Their, their plan is to go to each room and nail the doors shut so that she's trapped down there. And at some point, they successfully trap her, and they see the, the Satan baby doll room. And Al is like, we need to go down there and get her. And Crenshaw says, why can't we wait for the cops to show up, and then they can go down there? And Al says, no, we have to find her before she finds us. I kind of agree with Crenshaw's logic here. Like... I don't see why they have to go down there. Al is a terrible person. 
on every level. But let's let's look at the film up until this point. All the characters have acted extremely rationally. Yeah, for the most and part. Think about where the film would have gone if they just trapped Evelyn in the tunnels and then, you know, just waited, right? Like, how, how would the movie have resolved? I don't know. Probably a I, lot less interesting, but yeah. Yeah, you're right. Although, like, once they go down in the tunnels and start trying to, to hunt Evelyn down, this is where any momentum the movie had for me, like, died. The movie seemed so long at this point. Like, it seemed like it was taking a really long time down in those tunnels. But it was made worse by the fact that my VHS tape was super dark. Anyway, at, they think they have her trapped, but she's actually hiding out in the married couple's room. And so uh, she's able to kill the, the woman with her sickle, and then she kills the snakebite guy. And Al and Crenshaw figure out pretty quickly that this must be what happened. And so they manage to, to lock her down there at this point, right? Yes. And he's about, Al's about to go down there to try to hunt Evelyn down. But first, Tanya is like, wants to kiss him. At, like, she forgave him real quick. And now she's like romantically attached to him. What is it they say? Any port in a storm? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was going to say, maybe she's just desperate to cling to something. But we kind of skipped over it. In the last uh, murder scene of the married couple, there is a shot where Evelyn puts the sickle right through the cheeks between the jaws of the wife. Yeah. And there's a good shot of it. It's a really good practical effect that you only get to see for maybe two seconds. Yeah, the, the practical effects in this movie are actually pretty good. And I wonder if they were forced to cut it down or if they self-censored. Because this is right around the time when Hollywood was getting really strict with like not allowing too much gore or violence. Like, they were starting to worry about, like, the Friday the 13th movies and their influence and, and all of that. So, I wonder if that's why it's cut off so quickly. But, yeah, the, the effects in this movie look pretty good. Yeah, I, I need to show you a screenshot of this. Because, I, I mean, do you know what I'm talking about with this scene? Yeah, in fact, the um, the poster on IMDb is, like, taken from that. Except it's through the face of a of a baby doll like the poster on imdb is really weird it's got like a baby doll and then there's a a woman's i think evelyn's face in the belly of the baby doll and then the the sickle is going through the baby doll's face yeah but like you can even have, see the blade between the like in the mouth like over the tongue yeah it's really well done yeah and it's for like a two second scene that's why I'm saying maybe it was cut down hmm. by the censors. So how do you think they did this scene? Did uh, you, you think they built a prosthetic of her entire face? No, I think it's her face, but there is uh, external prosthetics on the left and right. Uh, one of which, you know, Evelyn's holding on to. 
And then in the middle, they just have her holding something in her mouth to simulate the blade going through. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention about this part. So as they're under, underground, this is where the score gets really good to me. So it's like, it's not just the music, but also the sounds are really effective. Like there's water dripping and this gong or like bell keeps ringing and it's the the music is kind of ambient like it's a very it's very experimental do you want me to play some of it sure Just the really minimalist gongs, like, I don't know. It's actually, it's very meditative for me. I, I really enjoy hearing it. If you didn't know what was going on, it would probably be like a white noise YouTube film to sleep to. No, if people don't know, I'm also really into collecting records. And one of my favorite, I guess, it's genres uh, to collect is any, like, Anything that uses natural noise, like music, concrete music, or uh, just field recordings, especially of, of water or droplets. And, and then I also like Buddhist meditation records that have like gongs and chimes. So I, that's the kind of thing I listen to because I'm bizarre. Um, but I think it works really well and like fits in this movie. So anyway, there's not a lot else I want to talk about. Like the sheriff finally shows up and he goes down into the tunnels and there's some like struggling and eventually Evelyn is killed. And anything else about this part that you think is worth discussing? Before I watched this film, I accidentally read what I thought was going to be a minor spoiler in a review, which was... Uh, this person said all of their favorite characters survived and that was really refreshing compared to most slasher films where uh you know most of the cast ends up meeting the edge of a knife but let's look at the casualty list here reverend in the ground crenshaw gets killed in the mines because al takes way too long to meet up with him so crenshaw gets ambushed and then the hotter of the two cousins also gets put in a body bag. I don't think anybody I liked survived this film. No, we have the sheriff who we barely know. We see him in the one scene in the bar. We have Al, the uh, fake Columbia Records owner uh, who is trying to seduce both girls. And we have Tanya who probably behaves out of everyone in the movie the dumbest like not like this prissy made the right choice the right ethical call to not sell herself out for the record not knowing if it was going to be real or not but ultimately seeing through al's ruse separated herself from the situation and got punished for it yep there's there's no ethical code in this film no, it's not like the uh, eventual Friday the 13th that were using their kills to, like, merit out justice, right? Like, yeah. 
none of the slasher rules here apply. Those chaotic, evil teenagers and their premarital sex. And at the end, it seems like Al gets the girl. It, is, it definitely appears that way, but maybe she'll come to her senses once all the adrenaline wears off. Oh, we can only hope. But the film does leave us with one last mystery. Because we see the what appears to be the ghost of Evelyn's daughter, like, in the woods. I just saw this as, like, a kind of a stupid final twist-type image, but I don't think it actually means that there is anything supernatural throughout the rest of the movie. It does kind of seem just tacked on in the end. Yeah, what other movie did we watch where the ending seemed really tacked on and I said I didn't like it? Oh, the head that comes to life at the end of Macabre. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like that, where there's like one supernatural twist, but nothing else in the movie supports the supernatural angle. I do feel that the surprise ending of Macabre is uh, better executed. You know, in some ways, the macabre one makes me more angry because there's kind of no way to read the macabre ending except that the head comes to life. Whereas here, I don't know, I can kind of buy that there is a ghostly image of the daughter and that Evelyn was just hearing voices because she's mentally ill. If they cut down a little bit, on interactions between the guests and the slog through the mole tunnels and replace that with uh, with more backstory to flesh out Evelyn, this would have been a much better film. Yeah, I don't even necessarily need backstory. I just want more time with Evelyn, like more yeah. dialogue with her where she becomes an actual villain and an actual like eccentric character. Like, I don't care about spending any more time with Al. <laughs> more time with Evelyn, more time with the daughter, because then the ghost scene at the end would have uh, more weight to it. As our living, final, surviving protagonists are, are leaving the property after the storm rolls over, she appears to be walking towards the patrol car. Right. As they're uh, removing the tree blockage from the road, she just doesn't quite make it there because, um, you know, undeath isn't necessarily an energy drink. At least not <laughs> until, uh, until what, they, they remade Dawn of the Dead and then all the zombies were running super fast. Uh, yeah, you still need, uh, you still need, like, nap time as a ghost. I mean, hey, man, you, do, you you got like this incorporeal body with no joints and muscles. Can't move fast without those, right? I guess not. So anyway, I have one more question before we get to, to final thoughts. So I understand that Evelyn is killing these people because the voice in her head or her daughter's voice is telling her to because otherwise they would send her to the hospital. But why does she put all of the non-lethal animals in their rooms? For the shock factor? Like, 
Does she <laughs> for get... the benefit of the audience? Because the movie doesn't give us any suggestion that she's like enjoying it or like sadistic. Like she's not even watching. She's just like dropping them in and then going on her way. All right, let's try to rationalize this. Um, all right, so her daughter is obviously a big animal nut. So perhaps Evelyn is just simply channeling her daughter by incorporating the menagerie into her massacre into this uh into this like crusade all right that explanation works for me let's get final thoughts what are yours and your your rating out of four although this film didn't truly resonate with me uh mm, is a neat little film with fun drive-in vibes and it really stands out for two reasons one how many horror films out there have murder grandmas right there there aren't many nowadays and i'm struggling to think of others from around the same time and i realize she's not a grandma but we have like this uh you know middle-aged maybe a little older woman in a role that's typically reserved for either you know fucked up children or giant monster men and that's a cool way to break the stereotype uh, for slasher films even though i suppose the slasher genre wasn't fully fleshed out at this time and uh two most of the characters act rationally throughout this entire film until the very end when uh, they're trying to hunt down evelyn in the in the maze because that was the worst possible decision but as was covered if the characters didn't do that um what would we have ha had happen, right? I guess the sheriff could have shown up and then it could have been his idea to go down there and he would have handled things. But and then Crenshaw would have survived. And we could have we could have held on to that. I wish the script was a little bit more fleshed out with all the satanic references and imagery. It's a it's a bit of a letdown that the asylum backstory never comes up again after the 32nd intro. We get hints and glimpses into some satanic panic angle, but it just never comes to fruition. Ultimately, I think uh, this is an instant recommend for slasher files, and it's uh, particularly good for 80s movie night with the fam. But like, not your actual family, just, you know, the fam. I'm gonna go with a coward's rating of two stars, because I did enjoy watching this film outside of the uh the slog and the tunnels yeah so what i like about this movie is it's got a very authentic feeling setting it kind of reminds me of the setting in the toby hooper film eaten alive uh in, in that it's like it, an enclosed or confined space that that feels real i like all of the actors and the fact that they they feel authentic as well like they actually feel like they're characters and i love the setup i love the trope of the crazy borderline abusive or evil mother character i love the the dabbling in satanism or witchcraft or whatever it is at the beginning occultism um I love the the inclusion of the animals and the fact that the mom kills the guinea pig. Like this movie starts off really strong for me. I even like that 
we have bizarre situations like even though the characters aren't admirable they're interesting like it's interesting that the guy can't afford the holiday inn and so they're here on their wedding night it's interesting that al is pretending to own columbia records in order to seduce these two girls who want to be singers even though they have no business anywhere near a microphone like they should be singing in the shower and that's it what i don't like about this movie is that all of that seems kind of cut short like we get what feels like 20 minutes walking around in the tunnels where i can hardly see what's going on but we barely get any of evelyn her backstory her dialogue like more with her character more with the daughter i mean i think leland and i want all the same we want more of all the same things at the same time, yeah, I recommend this if you haven't seen it. Like, I think it's definitely worth a watch. Um, I'm happy that I have it. And like now and then I feel like throwing it on. Uh, it's two stars for me as well. Wow, we're actually in agreement. I think it's yeah. been a while. Oh, we were pretty close last week, I think. Hmm. I think we were both two and a half last week. Something like that. Any... Oh, I feel like I've given out the coward's rating a bunch of times. Anyhow, speaking of uh, other films, next week um, we're doing the Giallo Oddity Death Laid an Egg, also known as, is it Plucked? Plucked? <laughs> yeah, um, also known as Plucked. Uh, so I have seen this film, but it's been a really long time. I really don't remember it. But Leland saw it recently and is pretty excited about it. So he's actually going to take over hosting duties next week. Anything else you want to say about this film before next week, Leland? It is on YouTube for free. Cool. And I also think it's on Amazon Prime. I actually don't think it got a VHS release in the United States until... Like maybe it, it got put out by like in a collector's edition in the late 90s or early 2000s. But I don't actually own this in my collection. I'll, I'll be watching it on Amazon. This really seems like one of those uh, odd films that would find its way into the Criterion Collection. Yeah, I think they've put out some Giallo films, but I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't have a lot of Criterions. They're, they're just too expensive. But anyhow, so check out, if you have not already, Death Laid an Egg, and we will discuss that last uh, next week. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares, where I post everything that we do. And please, wherever you're listening to us, rate, review, subscribe. That'll help us out. Uh, Leland, do you have any last words for this week? Thank you for your continued support. All right. So everyone have a good one, and we will talk to you next week about death-laden egg.